Well, today we're continuing a series of messages called Your Best Vacation Ever. And as we get started this morning, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been thirsty? And I don't just mean a little thirsty. I mean like really thirsty. One of those situations where you just feel like, I'm going to be in trouble if I don't find some water soon kind of thirsty. Any of you? Have you ever been in that place? Wow, a lot of you. I guess this is southern Arizona, right? <laughs> you know, for me, when I first moved to Arizona, I've told some of you this story before, over 20 years ago, the first mountain I decided, first time I wanted to go on a hike, I decided, oh, that's, that's a really cool mountain, I'm going to go and hike that. And I didn't have any water with me. The only, the only liquid I had was a couple of Circle K coffee that I picked up on the way. I thought that would do me just fine. And I remember, I just remember coming off that mountain thinking, I'm literally going to die. I'm going to die on this mountain. And this is it. I've only been here for a few months, so much for ministry. I'm going to die, God. I'm going to die right here. And just thinking, God, if you can get me out of this mess, this will never happen again. And so from that point on, of all these years as I've hiked and backpacked and stuff, I've never had that problem again. I've always been super careful. Actually, paranoid is probably the word, not, not careful. Because, I mean, there have been times I have done backpacking trips, and I have literally taken eight or nine liters of water on my back. In addition to camping gear, cooking gear, I'm carrying 30 pounds of water on my back because I'm just paranoid that I might not find water somewhere, and I might run out. And even still, even, when I'm, even though I'm always well over-prepared with water, I'm always afraid to drink it because I'm afraid, what if I run out? And so I'm like rationing it for myself. I've got a backpack full and, and people make fun of me as we go on these, as I, I go out hiking, like, dude, don't, why don't you drink some of that? It might be a little easier for you. But I just had this memory of being so thirsty that day, some 20-something years ago, when I was in my 20s and thought I was invincible, that I just, I can't get past it. And, I'm, and, that, and that keeps me always hydrated. Now, some of you, you probably, in summers like this, if you've been around southern Arizona for a while, you, you just instinctively walk around wherever you go with a water bottle, Right? Many of us do because we're just kind of used to that. But we're even still, we're usually only just a few steps away from water. But today I want us to talk about something, what it means to be thirsty. And not just physically thirsty, but spiritually thirsty. You know, we, we, talk, we can laugh about this whole idea about being thirsty and running out of water. But you know, just a couple weekends ago, right on these mountains just outside our window, there were four people who died. Spiritual, uh, physical thirst is real. People get really thirsty and they can die from it. What we're going to see this morning is, although physical thirst is a really important thing we have to take care of, we can become spiritually thirsty as well and it can be just as dangerous. The Bible talks about this. It talks about being spiritually thirsty. And uh, you can be, just like you can be physically dehydrated, you can be spiritually dehydrated as well. It, and what's so amazing about it is when, when, when you're physically thirsty, you, know, you're, you just instinctively want to go run and find water, right? You just, you just stop what you're doing and you find water to quench your thirst. But so many times I find that many of us, we're spiritually thirsty and we can go on like that for months. Saying to ourselves, oh, when I find some time, I'll take care of that, right? I'll deal with that. But the symptoms of spiritual thirst can be just as dangerous, we can become lost and disoriented in life, thinking we're okay, but putting ourselves in positions where we make bad judgment calls, just as those hikers did a couple of weekends ago. We can have difficulty hearing, hearing the voice of God, hearing direction from God. And we can have difficulty seeing, seeing God's plan for the things that are going on in our lives. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be 
hydrated or to rehydrate ourselves spiritually and take advantage of times of rest, times away from home, uh, from our normal busy routine, and to reflect on God and to regain some perspective on life. And we're going to talk about some really simple, practical ways we can do that. So I want to encourage you to turn with me, if you would, into Scripture, into John chapter 7. We're going to spend some time looking at John 7 today. In fact, while you're turning there, and we were in John 7 a little bit last week, if you'll remember. What we saw last week is that John chapter 7 is this time when Jesus is celebrating a vacation of his own. Uh, the whole nation, in fact, is celebrating this vacation. It's something they celebrated every year all the way back to the time of um, Leviticus called the Festival of, of Shelters or the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you remember this? Remember us talking about this over the last couple of weeks and what it means? This, this Festival of Shelters or this Feast of Tabernacles, it was this time every year right after the harvest season. It's always around September, October time frame. And God commanded his people in Leviticus. He said, I want all of you to take a week off. Every one of you. No one, gets, no one has an option to, to not do this. Take a, actually, it's eight days that you're to take off. You can't go to work. All the jobs are going to be closed down for the week. You can't even go home. God said, I command you to leave home, go somewhere, and relax, and be with your family, and rest. And because there were no Ritz-Carlton's, no five-star resorts back then, where did they go? Well, they, they built shelters for themselves. They pitched tents, and they just... Wherever they ended up deciding they were going to go, they spent a week. They built a shelter there, and then they just stayed there for a week. Not only to rest and relax, but to also, as I said, to reflect and to regain perspective with God on their lives. These days, as we take vacations, I don't know about you, but so oftentimes we can allow our vacations to fly by so fast. We, don't, we, don't even, we barely realize they're even... We say take a week, and then before we know it, it's gone. And we're wondering, where did our vacation go? And if we're not intentional about creating our vacations and making them the way we want them to be, to get from them what we want to get from them, then they just kind of just become a blur, a quick, quick trip where we enjoy ourselves, but then we're back to life as usual. What I believe, the reason that God gave us these seasons of rest, the reason he created this idea of a vacation in the first place with this idea of festival of shelters was to make sure that God's people rested. They rested physically, they rested emotionally and spiritually from the, from the stressful, difficult times that they lived on a day-to-day basis. So let's take a look at John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. And we're looking here into this story as Jesus and all these other millions of people throughout this land were celebrating this week off, this vacation time called the Festival of Shelters. In verse 37 it says, on the last day, the climax of this, this festival that we're talking about, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds. Now, what I want you to do for a moment, entertain me here. I want you to just kind of, if you can, not just hear these words, but to create a visual in your mind of what was happening in this time. As all these millions of people are gathered, by this time in history, most, of them, most people who were taking this vacation time, they would go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is packed, as I talked about a few week, couple weeks ago. It's kind of like Woodstock on steroids at this time because there are tents everywhere. Everywhere you look in and around this city, they are just everywhere. Along the streets, along on rooftops, wherever they could find a, a spot of ground, there was a tent, there was a shelter built where people are hanging out and taking this vacation time. And with all these crowds there, 
and they're celebrating this festival, Jesus is shouting out to the crowds that are there. And what does he say? Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Verse 39 says, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. And notice what happens in verse 40. It says, when the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, he, he's the Messiah. And still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the, the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. Now again, keep in mind, this story we're looking at, all of John chapter 7 and chapter 8 for that matter, is taking place during this festival of shelters time, this vacation, mandatory vacation time that the whole nation of Israel was taking. Now why is it when you heard this story, didn't it seem a little odd to you? That Jesus chose to shout out into the crowds the things that he was saying? I mean, you, it, as you see this story, it begs context, doesn't it? It's like, why in the world is Jesus just standing up in these crowds and shouting at everyone and saying, hey, everybody, I'm living water. Come and drink me. I mean, it's like God, Jesus like a water boy or something? I mean, what is this? Why is, why is he saying these things? This is a fascinating story when you dig into it. There is so much here that John doesn't tell us about what's going on in this moment. I want to kind of peel this back for you and help you see what's actually happening during this time. Because there is definitely a story behind this story. For those of you, you know, know, America's been a nation now for what, a little over a couple hundred years? In this 200 years time, we have created traditions around our holidays. Like the 4th of July, for instance. The 4th of July wouldn't be the 4th of July if what we're missing. Fireworks, right? I mean, how, how many of you want to celebrate 4th of July without fireworks? I mean, that's just kind of, I mean, it wasn't like the very first 4th of July there were fireworks there, right? But we've kind of created this tradition and everybody wants to make sure there are fireworks. Thanksgiving. I mean, Thanksgiving wouldn't be Thanksgiving without a turkey, Right? And without the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I mean, these are traditions that we've created for ourselves as Americans that we hold on to. But the same thing has happened in Jerusalem. The same thing has happened to these people when it comes to this week-long vacation time that these people have been, this nation has been taking for centuries, for centuries. They've created these traditions around their holiday. And these traditions are such a big deal to them that the traditions meant more to them than the holiday did itself. We know from history. And there were a couple of things that they did during this holiday by the time of Jesus that were especially significant that I want to share with you this morning. And the first, the first was kind of like a parade of sorts for them. It was called a water ceremony. Let me explain to you what happens. It happens every year during this festival time. Centuries, for centuries. As I said, this, this holiday was an eight-day-long eight holiday. Each morning, as the day started, there was this parade that went all the way through Jerusalem. And the, all the priests would gather at the temple uh, in Jerusalem, and they would parade themselves through town, all the way through town, with golden pitchers in their hands. They would walk all the way through town to this place, this, 
this, un, this spring in, in Jerusalem called the Pool of Siloam. And when the priests would get there, they would scoop up with these golden pitchers the water, and they would carry this water all the way back to the temple and pour it out on the altar. And it was a big deal to them because remember, remember what this holiday was, the time of year this holiday was, was being celebrated? It was right after the harvest, right? And it was a way for them to remind themselves of how God has blessed them, providing water for their crops so that they had food to eat. During this time, they would remind themselves of the story centuries before when Moses tapped the rock. Remember the story in the Old Testament? Moses tapped the rock and water came out of it when they were famished and they were so thirsty for water. This whole thing is this big visual demonstration for them of the present and the past and even for the future because they would talk about during this festival time, as these water pitchers walked through town, they would talk about how there was going to come this Messiah who would have not just water, but it would have living water that would give them eternal life. Now you can start to see the significance of what's happening here. These, these priests are parading through town each morning with these golden pitchers in their hands, and they're getting it filled. And while they're doing this, the streets are lined with thousands upon thousands of people uh, singing. They were singing Psalms 113 to 118, which we talked about a little bit earlier in the series. Those psalms were especially for this festival time. They would sing these songs. They would chant a verse from Isaiah, which, talk, which talks about God giving us water. And it was, it was a big deal. And in the middle of that, of all this parading... And pouring out this water from these golden pitchers, at that moment, Jesus stands up with thousands of people around, and he shouts, guess what, guys? I'm the living water. I'm the living water. They know what he's talking about. They've been celebrating this holiday for centuries. They know all the significance. They, it's a big deal for them to celebrate every year. And he's saying, this Messiah you've been waiting for? This God is going to come to earth and going to, going to give you salvation. I'm the one. I'm that God. Come th- if you're thirsty, come to me. No wonder they were stirred up. When you look at this passage here, verses 40 all the way through 52 is this, in my Bible it's titled, Division and Unbelief. These people are arguing with each other all day. What the heck was Jesus thinking? How can he say it? And some are saying, well, obviously he's the one. He is the one they've talked about. And others are saying, are you kidding me? We need to throw that guy in jail for what he said. So th- throughout the verses 40 to 52, they're arguing back and forth all day during this vacation time about what Jesus has said. Now, if you'll notice, if you have your, your Bibles with you, how many of you have this little notation after verse 52 that talks about ancient Greek manuscripts? Let me explain that. There's this passage from... Uh, John 7:53 through 8, John 8:11 that most scholars believe was inserted into John's original writing right here in the middle of this story. Um, some manuscripts have it here in this place, some don't. But just imagine for a moment, take, take that, that chunk of scripture out for a minute. Notice how this story reads when you go from seven, chapter 7, verse 52 over into chapter 8, verse 12. This is cool. If you take this passage out, which I believe that you should, to follow this storyline, what happens here is in chapter 8, verse 12, this is the evening of that same day. And it says in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, why is he saying once more? Because 
We're picking up on the story that, was, that, was, that stopped in 752. And Jesus says there, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now, what is that all about? Let me tell you. You see, they didn't have fireworks displays during their holiday time, but they did have this thing. It was a, called a light ceremony is what it was. And every evening throughout, the, throughout this week, they had these, I wish I could have seen them. They had these humongous lamps that were on, the, on a hilltop in Jerusalem. They were almost as high as an eight-story building. This is how tall these things were. It was, the, kind of like this candle, it was this candle lighting ceremony, and they would light them on fire every night. Not only was it cool to see, no doubt, but it had this special significance because what they were reminding themselves of every time these massive, humongous lamps were lit, eight-story tall lamps, they were reminding themselves of the past. They were reminding themselves of the wilderness and how God was a pillar of fire that guided them, that gave them direction in how to get to the promised land each night. This had special significance to them because it was reminding them that in a dark world, God was their light. God was the one who directed them each and every day. And as they took this festival of shelters time, this vacation time, and they sought God's direction in their lives, they were reminded as they saw these huge lamps burning on fire that God was their direction. And then Jesus did it again. He stands up in the crowd where everybody's enjoying watching this light show. And he says, guess what, guys? Not only am I living water, I'm the light of the world. I'm the one you should come to for direction. Now, why is all this so important? You might be thinking, Dave, this is, this is a nice little set of Bible trivia here. Where are you going with this? Let me tell you. Not only is this significant because Jesus is telling everyone, them and us, that he is God. And he is one that can provide us living water. He can provide us salvation. He can provide us, he's alive in the world that can provide us direction in our lives. But he's telling all these people at this important time in their lives, in their year, this time when they're all pausing to reflect and to regain perspective with God, when when their ears are a little bit closer to God than there are any other time of the year, because they're not working so hard and they're focused on getting some perspective from God on their lives. In this moment, this is the moment God chooses to share with them, I am the living water. I am the light of the world. What he's saying to them is you can come to me with your questions. If you're thirsty, come to me. I'm your light. I can give you you direction in life. I'll I'll give you water that will quench your thirst for answers, your, your thirst for God. And here's, here's what I'm driving at today, what God wants us to see about our times of, away from home when we're taking these vacations and we're relaxing and whatnot. Vacations are great. They're ways to have fun and to detach and disconnect from the stresses of life. But vacations can have a lasting impact on our lives that far outlasts the time we're away when we're thirsty enough to make space while we're away to rehydrate, to spiritually rehydrate, to be refreshed by the direction and the perspective that God provides. The trick is we have to recognize that we're thirsty and that we want to spend a few moments uh, while we are away rehydrating with God. Otherwise, every moment of our vacations will be filled with one activity after another after another. 
right? Notice what the psalmist says about this spiritual thirst. In Psalm, chapter, in Psalm 42, this psalm starts by saying, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? As you read further into this chapter in Psalm 42, what you see is that this psalmist is writing about how he's discouraged in life. He's been wondering where God is and all the stuff that's been going on and why, different, why things aren't happening differently than, than what they are. And this psalmist is wanting direction from God. So my question to you this morning is, perhaps you're, you know, maybe, maybe you're already thinking about where you're going to be taking vacation later this summer. Some of, some of us are already on vacation and we'll be listening to this online. But as you think about where you might be going this summer, whether it's going across the country to visit family or going to the beach or maybe even just taking a couple of days on Mount Lemmon, my question to you is, in that time, are you thirsty? Do you long to hear what God might say to you while you're relaxing and you're away from the stresses of your day-to-day life? Now listen, what I'm not saying here is that you, we, you all need to turn your vacations into these spiritual retreats. That's not what I'm saying. God gave us this, just as God gave us this idea of Sabbath rest where we take a day each week and we stop our work and we come to God's house to worship, just as God valued that, God says, I also value you taking these seasons in your life to just chill, to rest, to relax, to be with those you love, and to get perspective on life again. God created this idea, and it's not just to have this retreat with God, but what would it look like for you if while you're away on your vacation, you just set aside a little bit of time and you said, God, I'm gonna, that's going to be our time. That's going to be the time that I just want to spend in your presence and I want to hear from you what you have to say about what's going on in my life right now. What's going on with my job, what's going on with my family, what's going on with my, the ways I'm serving, whatever it might be, with my health. What would it look like for you to just set that time aside and say, God, that time is going to be just for you and me. Maybe for some of you, it would involve, while everyone else has gone to sleep, you're a night owl, and you just kind of decide, I'm going to take an hour or two after everyone else has gone to bed, and this, that's going to be my time with God. Or maybe you're an early riser, and while you, are, you wake up and you're thirsty for your first cup of coffee, you walk out to wherever this beautiful setting is that you are on your vacation, and you say, you know what, God, I'm, also, I'm just thirsty for you this morning. Before anybody else gets up, before I get distracted with my day, I would love to hear what you would have to say to me today about how things are going with my life. Vacations are designed to be times when you are truly away to unwind and de-stress and clear your mind. And what better time when that is happening to hear the voice of God in your life? To, as, as these Israelites once did, to bend your ear close to God while the stress of your day-to-day life is, is abated and say, God, Show me whatever it is that you want to show me about how life is going. It all depends. This whole idea depends on whether or not you're thirsty. Whether you're thirsty enough to create that space to be with God. This summer vacation, how thirsty do you think you will be? Now, you might be saying, 
saying just yourself in your mind, some of you, well, Dave, it sounds great, but it, honestly, if, if I were to create this space that you're describing oh, in my vacation to be alone with God, honestly, I wouldn't know what to do with it. I mean, what, Dave, what would I do with that time? I would just kind of sit and look at the beach and just kind of think God thoughts. I mean, what, what would I do? Let me give you, as we wrap up this morning, I want to give you two very simple and super practical ways that you can take advantage of this time, this space that you create in your vacation. Number one, I would encourage you to spend time in the Bible, especially in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now let me explain why. Ecclesiastes was a book that these Jewish people for centuries, they made sure that they heard read every single year when they were on their vacation during this festival of shelters. They would go into the temple and they would hear Ecclesiastes read, all 12 chapters of it from beginning to end every year. Why would they pick that book of all books to read every single year during this vacation time? Well, it's because of the perspective that the writer of Ecclesiastes gives people. The perspective that he gives about life as a whole and about, about what's important in life and what's not important. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about things like not pouring your life into your work. About not making rash promises to God. Ecclesiastes talks about not chasing after stuff in this world. Not chasing after wealth. It talks about maintaining a good reputation in your life. It talks about even staying healthy. And not getting lazy. I mean, there's so much in that little book about perspective on life. And so every year, these Jews would read Ecclesiastes or heard it read from beginning to end as they were thinking about their own lives. What would it look like for you while you're on vacation? Say you're gone for a week and you decide every morning before everyone else is up, I'm going to just create this space where I read two chapters a day of Ecclesiastes, and I get through the whole book. And as I read through this book, I'm going to keep saying to God, God, what do you want to show me about me? What do you want to show me about my life? What is it that you would tweak in my life, God, to make it more, uh, make more of a difference in the lives of others and to be closer to you? So that would be the first thing I suggest, is take some time while you're on vacation and read Ecclesiastes. But the second thing I would share with you that, to do is to take some time to just reflect and to reevaluate your life with God. This is something that I have done so many times in these moments because I have found such value in it. When I get away on vacation, I try to find these moments when I'm alone with God, and I just start talking with, to God and asking Him all kinds of questions. I'll say, God, talk with me about my relationship with my wife. What is it that's going well there? What's not? Talk with me about my relationship with my son. Talk with me, God, about my, my ministry. Talk with me about my physical health, how I'm doing with that. Talk with me about my relationships with other friends that I have. And I'll, just, I'll go through these, this, several different questions that will go through my mind. And in this time, I'm listening to God and saying, God, is there anything that you can encourage me in that I'm doing well? And are there any things that you can encourage me to do differently? And what I hope to come away from each time I take these times away is just one or two things that I can take home with me and apply to my life to make it that much closer to him and that much closer to those I love. So I just had this habit of doing this every year and it has meant so much to me. So many times I've come back from these trips and the insight that I've gained from that has meant as much to me as the, as the trip itself did. 
Because the photos get stuck in a shelf or they get stuck on a hard drive somewhere. But the practice that I put into place as a result of being with God and hearing God's voice, seeing God's perspective on my life, has carried that vacation far into the future and made a difference in my life. Today, I have put inside your programs a little insert. Hopefully, you'll find it. It says self-evaluation questions. I've just given you some of the things that I have asked myself over the years. This list, I want to ask you, when you get home, take this list and stick it in your suitcase, wherever your suitcase is. If it's in your attic, if it's in your garage, just stick this piece of paper in your suitcase so that when you pull it out on your next vacation, it's there. On this list, there's several things that you can just take with your time with God. Ask yourself, ask God these questions and see where God leads you. What perspective he gives you about your life and how you can draw closer to him and those you love after your vacation is long over. You know, vacations are great. They give us this chance to step away from the day-to-day pressures of our lives And they can do so much to emotionally and to spiritually rehydrate us. I hope that you'll recognize during those times that you're thirsty for God. That you're thirsty to hear from Him. I hope you'll make space on your vacation to be receptive to whatever it is that God wants to show you about your life. So that you can see Him and see what God's doing in and through your life more clearly. And I hope those brief moments, those experiences on vacation will help you get more out of your vacation than just fun and relaxation, although that's important. But that you will be able to carry away something from that vacation that will make it your best vacation ever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this time today as we have reflected on this holiday that most of us hadn't even heard of before, this Feast of Tabernacles or or Festival of Shelters. God, I thank you for this storyline that goes all the way through the Old Testament and New Testament that reminds us of the importance of rest. And not just rest once a week for a day, but seasons of rest in our lives where we can reflect and regain perspective. God, I pray that as each one of us finds those times to get away this summer, Lord, I pray that they will be fun and they will be relaxing. But Lord, I pray that they will also be times that we will each one of us hear from you. Lord, give us perspective on our lives that we can't see when we're in the daily grind. When we're in the nine to five each day and there's so much going on, so much busyness, so much stuff that we can't hear you as clearly. God, I pray that our vacations will truly be times of rest and that we will come back to our normal lives fully energized, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to provide an opportunity. If some of you were here this morning, maybe you've come and this, maybe this is your first time here or maybe you've been coming for a few times and you've been looking for something more spiritually grounding in your life you're looking uh, for ways to build faith into your life and you've just found yourself here today and if that's the case maybe you're here today and, and you've never said yes to Christ in your life you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus 
If that's you today, I just want to encourage you. You're not here by accident today. God brought you here today to hear this message. And I believe God's prompting some of you even today, those, some in this room and listening online, to take a step closer to Jesus today. To commit your heart and your life to Him. Or perhaps to recommit your heart and life to Him because you've walked away from Him for a season of your life. If that's you, I just want to encourage you this morning. Take this opportunity to say yes to God and to open that door of communication back in your life to Him. Just pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart this morning. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I confess that I need you. I need your guidance, your direction in my life. I need that living water, that eternal life, that salvation that I can't provide for myself once I leave this earth. But God, more than anything else, I, I want a relationship with you. So Lord, I, this morning I just come to you and I ask that you would forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sins, past, present, those things that have disappointed uh, you and me. God, I ask that you would forgive me of all those things. And not only that you would forget them, but as Scripture says, Lord, that when we seek forgiveness, that you would actually forget about them and you don't even remember them anymore. God, I ask that you would do that for me as I confess that you are my Savior and Lord. That you came to a cross some 2,000 years ago and you died for me so that I could have this eternal life. God, I ask that you would come into my heart even now and fill me with your Spirit and begin to change me. Change not only my perspective, but change me from the inside out. And make me into the man or woman of God that you've called me to be. Lord, I want that more than anything. And so, Lord, I, I ask you to take the driver's seat in my life. Guide me, direct me, be my light. Not just today, not just on Sundays, but every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.